This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents the Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, something curious about Jesus that we probably don't remark on as much as we should. Jesus was, for want of a better term, a layman, a layperson. There were more explicitly religious people in Jesus' time. Think of the Essenes. The Essenes were really prototypes of monks. These were Jews that went off to distant, sequestered places to live a life of intense prayer and austerity, far from the world. In fact, the Dead Sea Scroll that they found many decades ago now were part of an Essene community. Some say John the Baptist, with his austere style and life, might have been an Essene. There were Pharisees in Jesus' time. These were official religious people, keepers of the law. Their purpose was to circulate among the ordinary people and encourage this strict following of Jewish law. There were scribes and priests of the temple, people whose job was to propagate the scriptures of the Jewish people, to perform sacrifice in the temple. They were explicitly religious types. You also found rabbis in the towns, these were formally trained people, usually working with another rabbi, learning the scriptures, and their purpose was to help the people live the religious life. Well, an odd thing about Jesus was, he was none of these. He wasn't like the Essenes. In fact, he moved rather freely among the people in a very ordinary way. Didn't wear distinctive dress or garb. He wasn't a Pharisee. In fact, he's often critical of the Pharisees for their self-importance and hypocrisy. He wasn't a rabbi, though he's called rabbi as a kind of uh, honorary title, but he didn't study formally with a, a rabbi. He certainly wasn't a scribe or priest of the temple. Jesus was a, a layperson. In fact, this was a bit of the reason for the scandal often associated with Jesus, how he moved so easily and freely, associating with the sinners and tax collectors, with women, a lot of people who were considered marginal, problematic. I think you can sense some of this in the line that opens up our gospel for today. Listen from the Gospel of Mark. John's disciples and the Pharisees were accustomed to fast. So people came to Jesus with the objection, why did John's disciples and those of the Pharisees fast while yours do not? I think we can broaden that question out a bit. We understand John the Baptist and his disciples. They're kind of standard religious types. We understand the Pharisees and their practices. But what about you and your disciples? You don't fast. You don't do a lot of classically and standard religious things. What's Jesus' answer? It's a marvelous answer, typically Jewish in many ways. He answers the question with a question. How can the guests at a wedding fast? while the groom is still with them? How can the guests at a wedding fast while the groom is still with them? The great image of the wedding 
feast. Look, Jesus is not simply one more religious figure among many. He's not like an Essene, not like John the Baptist, not like a rabbi, not like a scribe or a priest of the temple, because Jesus is something totally new. Jesus is the wedding of heaven and earth. He's the wedding of divinity and humanity. God's love and the world come together in him. This is why he breaks, it seems to me, why he breaks all of the usual categories, why he doesn't fit into the usual religious style, because he is something so transcendently new. Notice, please, how this image of the wedding comes up again and again in the Bible. Most famously in John's Gospel, the wedding feast at Cana. Why is Jesus there? Why does he turn the water into wine so as to increase the joy at a wedding feast? Because he wants to say symbolically that he is the wedding of divinity and humanity. He's the source of joy. You see, in Paul's letters, Paul frequently uses that image of bride and bridegroom. Christ is the groom, the world, the church, the bride. He takes to himself the bride of the world, of the church. That's why when two people come to the Catholic Church to be married, they themselves are the sacrament because their love is symbolic of the love that Christ has for his church as a bridegroom loves his bride. What does all this imply? It implies, I think, that the primary principle feeling of Christianity is joy. We are a religion of joy. One of the church fathers said, the great mark of the Holy Spirit, the flag of the Holy Spirit, the sign the Spirit's in you, is above all joy. Because you have been grafted onto this union of divinity and humanity, who is Jesus Christ. What could be better news? What could be more exuberant good news? In fact, isn't that true as Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell their story of Jesus? They call it euangelion in the Greek. I mean, good news. I've got good news for you. Gospel, God's spell, good news. We are a people who bear the joy of the coming together of divinity and humanity. And that's why, look, my disciples don't fast because they are guests at a wedding feast. By extension, Christians, all of us baptized, are guests at the wedding feast. That is why joy is the mark and sign of our Christian lives. Is this also part of the problem? Yes. Now, what do I mean? I mean, for a lot of people, Christianity is hard to take because the news is just too good. Christianity is hard to take in because the news is just too much. It seems out of step with reality. How could I be, how could I accept such a joyful message? And now Jesus, in the same gospel, addresses himself to the problem. Listen. No one sews a patch of unshrunken cloth on an old cloak 
If he should do so, the very thing he's used to cover the hole would pull away, and the tear would get worse. No one pours new wine into old wine skins. If he does so, the wine will burst the skins, and both wine and skins will be lost. No. New wine is poured into new skins. The news is impossibly good, yes. Heaven and earth have come together. Joy and exuberance, yes. What do we need to take it in? We need ourselves to be supple and expansive enough to accommodate this message. What are the old wine skins? The old wine skins are a mind and a heart that are so cramped, that are so caved in on themselves, that it becomes so sour and skeptical that they can't take in this message. In fact, Jesus implies, when the good news is poured into such receptacles, it'll break them. Break them. They're not ready for it. Some examples. Suppose someone comes to a wedding. There's music, there's laughter, there's dancing, there's wine, there's good cheer all around. But he is just in the worst mood. He's depressed, angry, anxious. Next day, someone says, how was the wedding? What's he likely to say? Oh, it's terrible. It's boring, distracting. It's terrible. New wine was being poured into old wine skins. It's being poured into a mind and a personality unable to bear them, unable to take them. So they misperceive the wedding. Another example, think of someone who all his life has listened to nothing but rock and roll. It's all he's ever taken in, rock and roll. I love rock and roll, you know, but let's say someone that's all they've ever listened to. And then suddenly along comes Beethoven, Mozart, and the person strives to listen, but they, they don't get it. It's just they can't take it in. Because that new wine's being poured into old wine skins. They're unable to, to receive it, to accept it. Now, I mean, to be fair, flip that image around. Suppose someone has listened all his life to nothing but classical music, and along comes Eminem. Well, they can't take him in either. Same problem, that they're not receptive enough to take in this novelty. So with the gospel. It is such good news that we need to be changed in order to accept it. The very beginning of Mark's gospel, Jesus says, you need to change your minds. The word he uses is metanoiate. Conversion, yes, but literally it means go beyond the mind you have. Change your mind, and then you will take in the good news of the kingdom. What does a changed mind look like? What is this renewed spirit able to take in the good news? It's a mind of faith. Faith. What does that mean? It means a mind, a spirit, a heart willing to accept the new, the strange, the novel, the unheard of. Our minds can become so cramped and so rationalistic, so skeptical, you know? Only if I get very clear, convincing evidence right in front of me, I won't accept it. Well, heck, if that were true, you wouldn't accept the best things in life because you can't prove love. You can't prove uh, the depth of relationship. 
the best things in life can't be seen by a hyper-skeptical mind. So part of being new wine skins, receptive, is to be a person of faith. Secondly, it means being a person of hope. Hope. What goes wrong with us Christians is our hope dries up. And we see our lives only in the narrow confines of, of what's right in front of us. We become depressed about the future. Hopeless. Only bad things will come. No, to be open to this good news of the marriage of divinity and humanity, you must be a person of hope. Soren Kierkegaard, the philosopher, said that a passion for the impossible is the mark of the Christian. Isn't that great language? The passion for the impossible the unheard of, the unexpected, the strange, the new. You must be a person of hope to take in the gospel. Finally, to be new wine skins, to be receptive, you must be a person of love. God is love. Like is known by like, as the adage has it. To know love, you must become conformed to love. I know I've quoted to you before that line from Jared Manley Hopkins, the great Jesuit poet. Someone said, how can I come to believe? He said, give alms. In other words, perform an act of love, and you will be more able to take in the love that God is. New wine, it's the wedding feast, it's the good news, it's the joy. New wine, to take it in, we need new wine skins not cramped, fearful souls, but souls marked by faith, hope, and love. When that's the case, you can be intoxicated by this new wine. God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. To purchase copies of The Word on Fire, call 847-297-4360. That's 847-297-4360. Word on Fire is brought to you in part by Catholic Cemeteries. Most interment arrangements at the 42 Archdiocese of Chicago Cemeteries are made through a pre-need plan. Your thoughtful planning today is economically prudent and contributes to peace of mind for you and your loved ones. Catholic Cemeteries counselors are available at your convenience. For more information, call 708-449-6100. Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Catholic community since 1837.